Welcome to Bat Therapy, psychology of Batman, superheroes, and other comic book characters. Be a fly on the wall or a bat in the cave, listening in on a friendship built out of a love for talking Batman, comics, and the everyday struggle to achieve mental health and happiness. We are your hosts, clinical psychologist Dr. Amelia Brown and educator and comic aficionado Keaton Hopkins. Don't forget to follow us on YouTube and social media and find our Patreon at patreon.com slash therapy. This podcast is about providing education and understanding and is not a replacement for mental health treatment or support. If you're needing help, go to bat-therapy.com for resources. All right. So today is an exciting day for us. When I first started looking into doing a nerdy podcast, I wanted to see kind of what was out there already. And I found the Arkham Sessions podcast, which has Dr. Drea Mendy, uh, who's leading it, um, and thought to myself, wow, this person's super cool and doing all these things. Too bad I'm never going to meet them. Well, she's here. Uh, <laughs> so she was nice enough to actually come and join us for a podcast session. So we're nerding out uh, times two, both nerd comment. Uh, content and just having someone that we think is really cool on here. Um, So she, aside from the podcast, uh, she is a consultant in the popular arts, including with Marvel, DC Comics, and other major players out there. She's done commentary on multiple featurettes by Disney Plus and Warner Brothers Home Entertainment, so you may have seen her out there somewhere already. So Dr. Letta Mendy, or uh, we'll be talking with her as Drea today, because she was nice enough to say, let's go first names. I want to just open it up to you if there's anything else in terms of introducing yourself you'd like to say. Thank you so much for having me on the show, Keaton and Amelia. It's such a pleasure to be a part of your show and also kind of like your storytelling, your journey around the crossover, the the psychology, mental health, and superheroes world. And there aren't that many of us. So I just want to thank you for um, bringing me into your space as a guest and uh, anytime I can talk about psychology and superheroes and related <laughs> topics, I love doing this. I jump at the chance. I wish this could be my full-time job. Uh, so I just want to thank you and thanks to your listeners for being interested in this and for um, following along with us today. So if if maybe just to start off with, I know Keaton and I have been really interested in what does it even mean to be a consulting psychologist when it comes to our favorite characters out there? So I'm wondering if maybe you can just start off with what that looks like. I wish that there was a manual or roadmap or pathway (laughs) that's like really determined because if I'm being really honest about my career, I had really little idea, you know, 10, 15 years ago about what I would ultimately be doing Mm. with my psychology background, if that makes sense. I started out, yeah. So I started out in, um, actually I went to grad school for clinical psychology. I was really just so interested in becoming a, an experimental psychologist, a clinical psychologist who would be pretty grounded and spend most of, of my time sort of in a, in a lab setting, in a research setting. And I, you know, again, being candid about this, it started to just feel not authentic to me. Mm. And in grad school, I was so, um, I want to say lucky to to be going to grad school in San Diego where Comic-Con is held. And 
I started to to go to Comic-Con as like just something to do, <laughs> just, you know, a thing, <laughs> just a hobby, you know, and um, in uh, like about 2007. And I had already been a huge Batman fan, comic book fan growing up. And in grad school, I sort of had my own identity crisis. It did not feel authentic to be a researcher. It did not feel authentic mm. to sort of be in the ivory tower and be limited and constrained to those professional activities. And I say this with so much respect and in honor of that work that's done in those settings, because I can't do what, what I do without both my experience and training in uh, as a scientist practitioner, but also the folks that uh, have come before me and that are going to continue to do that really critical work around evidence-based treatments, assessment, and dissemination. So I just really appreciate that that's a yeah. space that exists. I, and my short, shorter answer to the question is that I started to realize where I can be most effective and also feel that sense of excitement and exhilaration about my work is that translational piece to bring the science of psychology into spaces where it doesn't have that mm -hmm. illumination, doesn't have that, uh, that history or doesn't have that welcoming, um, or it's just really needed to elucidate um, the, the gaps, the practices, the, uh, the need for this work to be out there. And so podcasting was actually the first way that I've done this. Um, just yeah. get the voice to the people, get the science to the people. That's like one of the first things that I did is start the Arkham sessions with Brian Ward, uh, my co-host who isn't here now, but is like, definitely, as y'all know, uh, you know, a huge part of podcasting is, is your mm -hmm. co-host. And I started to realize that's one really effective way to sort of get my professional voice out there. And then the consulting piece happened. Folks reached out to me uh, as they saw me as an expert in the intersections of mental health and comic books mm. and superheroes. And so then I started to work behind the scenes with artists, creators, developers, folks in the creative arts and entertainment spaces, because they knew that this work is really seminal to their storytelling yeah. uh, and felt like they had someone relatable to go to. Yeah, that's really cool. That is really awesome. Which also, by the way, congratulations. You just had your 200th episode oh, yeah. uh, for yeah. the Arkham Sessions. Congrats. It was funny because when I, um, I, I do follow you and I had actually watched Batman Forever the week before. And so I was really <laughs> excited when you happened to post it. And I was like, oh my gosh, yes, I just watched this. That was the, that was the very first Batman movie, I think, that I, was, I saw in theaters because wow. the, yeah because i think batman returns i was still a little too young but then when that one came out so i just thought it was really really fortuitous that your 200th episode was a movie that i had just extremely fresh on the brain but yeah congrats that is so so awesome thank you it's amazing that we reached 200 because running a podcast as y'all know, is a lot of work. So much goes yeah. on yes. behind the scenes. <laughs> and even staying on track, not just in terms of schedule, but just the spirit of the show. You know, mm -hmm. what are we covering? Is this, do we feel passionate about this? And I will say, we've done other podcasts. We've hosted other podcasts. We've been longtime sort of um uh, secondary or co-host to other podcasts. And we keep coming back to our own podcast. And I think it's because it is our baby. We, um, 
we developed it, we nourished it, we nurtured it. And the first hundred or so episodes are all centered around Batman for folks who recognize the name, the Arkham Sessions or- Such a great name. Arkham yeah. itself. Yeah. So, so we started out really centering our discussions on Batman, the animated series. And the origin story of this is that I had just done my first like feature film documentary with Warner Brothers. They had me as an on-camera interviewee on villains and it was lined up with DC comics. They were doing like a big villains kind of tie-in with all the, all the titles and oh, yeah for the new for the new 52 this was i i believe so because this is around yes. that time it was necessary evil so the yes. film is called mm -hmm. necessary evil supervillains okay. of dc comics and i was asked to participate in that documentary and it was one of the first that i did with warner brothers it may have even been the one that kind of started our consulting relationship and it was a whole lot of fun. And then, and oh my gosh, I, I was on on screen with Jim Lee oh and gosh. Scott Snyder and uh, just amazing people in, in the comics industry. And I just felt like, wow, um, how did I even, I just felt super humbled by that. And then when the documentary came out, all of my examples came from Batman the animated series and the interstitials and like the little, little clips they used. Uh, using my commentary were of Batman the Animated Series. And so my co-host, Brian Ward, who's now my husband actually, uh, had pitched this to me. Why don't we just do a podcast? You're so excited. You're talking about Batman all the time. Why don't I just put microphones around and we'll create a show? What is it about the husbands? Mine was also like, hey, you know, people might want to listen to this. And I was like, no, they won't. <laughs> That's so fascinating. And I did the whole sort of like, you know, hero's journey refusal mm -hmm. to to the call. I'm just like, I yep. don't think anyone wants to hear me talk. I'm it's nerdy. I don't think anyone cares about these subjects. And and we got going, and and we not only enjoyed it immensely, but we also um, gained a bit of like a fan following around Batman and mental mm -hmm. health. And so that would be in, in for me developing the podcast and centering it around Batman as a character and Batman's narrative, Batman's world, villains, relationships helped me uh, frame the first hundred or so episodes. Mm. And since then, because, you know, the show, this is a show from 1992, it did right. end and <laughs> we were put in a position to start to cover other things. And we did, um, we did expand our lens and we started to talk about other shows and we threw in a few films. We threw in the Nolan films. We even covered like a video game. We covered a whole mm. bunch of stuff. And right now we're covering Star Wars, the, the cinematic um, Star Wars IP. And it has been hilarious. It's been so much fun and a little bit of a shift in uh, I think our pop culture lens, but also mm. we're huge Star Wars fans. So it all made sense to yeah. us. It's like a Venn diagram, you know, like if you're into one of them, you're into at least two or three, uh, you know, Star Wars, Star Trek, Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings. There's something you can kind of cross right. over into, you know, you, you hit on something just now that I think is so important. And, and I come from the same place of, I felt like I was jumping through all the hoops in grad school 
and Keaton's an educator, so he also okay. has a sense of some of this like upper level stuff where you kind of have to jump through hoops to get to the point that you yes. were starting off at in the beginning um, to be able to do what you want to do. And I just, yeah, I got to this point too where it was it was just kind of you don't necessarily see all the information getting out there to people in, in just the everyday world. And one of the things that really struck me too is why do we make it so much work? <laughs> Everything is hard, hard enough as it is. Why, mm-hmm. why make it so that only people who care about mental health are going to learn about mental health? It's kind of like not everyone who's fit goes to the gym. You know, maybe they're hiking, maybe they swim or I don't know, maybe they play badminton. I don't know. But how do we make this stuff accessible to everyone, whether mental health is their quote unquote thing or not? And also they're not to have to necessarily be a problem in order for someone to learn about it. Uh, so that was a, a lot of went in, what went into our own kind of background in terms of starting the podcast. And I know uh, you were talking about the co-host being so important. It's so true because I started, I was like, okay, let me just kind of record a thing here and there and see what I think. And and I was like, okay, this is interesting stuff. And I kept thinking to myself, but this is a conversation I'd have with Keaton. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, it, and it would be better. <laughs> yeah. And making, like you said, making things fun and exciting and interesting and also just delving into these things that people are are passionate about already and helping them understand what makes them good, but then also sometimes understanding what could maybe make them even better. Yeah. Well, Absolutely. Yeah, and and it, yeah, it's it was I remember when you when you asked me, I was like, Are you kidding me? Like I feel like I said yes before you even <laughs> finished asking. Because it was one of those things where we've always been friends and then you asked me, you were like, Hey, do you wanna start a podcast where we talk about batman of like so basically just record us on the phone is that what you're <laughs> and i said that exactly, what you're yes yeah because <laughs> you know it is one of those things where i feel like it's an escape like i remember so many times when i would be going through stuff hardships in life i would just go to barnes and noble find a chair mm. and literally just start reading mm. comic books and like i literally read identity crisis when i was going through one Right. Wow, and, wow. And, and so it's it's one of those things where it is such a good escape and you can learn. You can honestly learn so much from these characters and how they interact with each other and how they deal with things, because uh, what's so cool about superheroes is next to the powers. These are still flawed individuals. Mm-hmm. Right. No one is perfect despite what Ozymandias might think about himself he's certainly uh he's certainly not perfect and so you know just being able to kind of immerse yourself in this world and also be taken away from whatever it is you're temporarily going through it's such Mm -hmm. a it's such a good escape it's such a great uh escape and it's one of those things where uh looking at my own mental health issues whenever Amelia uh Amelia did ask me to come on the podcast I was honestly nervous because I it was one of those things like do I want to put out there that I mm. actually struggle with mental health issues and at the end of it all I was like well absolutely I think that's the 
that's the point it's being able to just get it out there that you know if someone is dealing with something they're not the only ones dealing with it they're not alone and so yeah it's just been it's been an honor to just kind of be a part of this and on top of that just pick Amelia's brain because like y'all are <laughs> y'all are absolutely brilliant and I just kind of love like half I feel like on the podcast half the time my co-hosting I'm just asking questions like what about this like what about this mm-hmm. you know and it's just it's but just so much fun that I think is why the co-host is so important with these things because like Drea was talking about at the beginning there's a lot of wonderful things happening in research and in these more kind of educational or even treatment settings, but there needs to be almost essentially the audience member who, who creates the conversation because if it's just psychologists within psychology, all this wonderful information gets trapped. And, you know, I I think it's wonderful all the different questions you ask and you have a very good mind for these sorts of things, even though you didn't go through that training. You know, not all of it's the training. There's also kind of this innate piece to it. And it was also really cool, too, because, um, you know, when Keaton started, I was like, I know you have mental health stuff. This is not me saying you need to tell anybody anything about any of that stuff. We can just talk the comics and the mental health. You get to choose. Um, and I think there have even been moments where afterward we're kind of checking in and it's like, hey, are you still sure that? We can always take things out if you afterward yeah. feel like you you don't want to share it. But I've loved that part because I think also there's just people I think are becoming more and more comfortable with the conversations, but it's so helpful to know, hey, here's these other nerdy comic book people out there like me, and they also struggle with stuff like I do. And that community piece is just so important. And I, that was one thing I was going to ask you, Drea, like, how is it? whenever you go to these huge cons and speak on panels and interact with all of these individuals that just listen to your podcast every week when it, when it comes out, they're just like listening to it. How does it feel actually being able to interact Mm. with people all over the country that are just like listening to you on a weekly basis? Like knowing that your voice is just out there being heard by so many. It is hard to get used to. I'm not sure that I am like absolutely comfortable in my skin as Mm. all of these different identities because, you know, yes, we are podcasters. Um, We're also educators. We're also, um, you know, public health educators. We're Mm -hmm. also putting our professional and sometimes personal lives into a very public space, either through the podcasting or paneling or events. And I did have a little bit of struggle, I'd say like halfway through, uh, I didn't know how much of my life should be out there. And Mm, Amelia, this is like kind of how we're trained as psychologists. I was about to say, psychologists? Professionals, there's so much of the indoctrinating that, and this is true for other mental health providers too, that we will be better suited as therapists and counselors if we don't put so much of ourselves out there. Mm -hmm. And I, and I think we, we need to um, subvert that a little bit if we're also seeing ourselves as public health educators and 
uh, uh, public speakers and thought leaders yeah. in these spaces. And so I had to do a little bit of shifting around in my professional identity. Is it okay that my social media is mm -hmm. the one, I just have the one, you know, that's telling folks about what I'm doing over the weekend, what I'm, uh, what article I'm reading, what comic I'm reading, what mm -hmm. conference I'm in. And so Keaton, it's interesting because there's a little bit of code switching too that has to be pretty yeah. fluid. When I'm at Comic-Con and I'm delivering a panel that's for a Comic-Con audience, the majority of people in the audience are not in the mental health field. Right. The majority of that audience, they're Comic-Con reader, or they're comic, comic book readers and fans and uh, and it, it's quite diverse just in terms of who, who might be sitting in those seats. I recently did a conference. I spoke at a mental health conference in San Diego for a, a group that was based on talking to them, predominantly mental health providers, provider social workers, and um, folks who are, are working in uh, foster care, child welfare work. And so the shift there is leaning in a little bit more to our industry, right? The mm -hmm. language we use, um, the lingo. And I even get nervous about how I'm representing myself in those spaces and making sure I do right by the, the other audiences that are not there, right? I'm trying to speak highly of the opportunities to learn and heal from comic books. And so I want to do that in a way that respects and honors the media. And I also want to respect and honor the discipline of clinical mm -hmm. psychology. And so how do I intersect that? And I think that where we can really be uh, successful in this is that translational piece that in our training, we rarely get uh, education and assistance around like communication skills, media mm -hmm, skills, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, entrepreneurship, uh, social media management. We're just flying by the seat of our pants. My social yeah. media management was, should I tweet this? I'm not sure. I'm going to put it in my drafts <laughs> and then I'm going to wait six hours and have some food and then come back to it. Is mm -hmm. this still okay for me to tweet? And, and you know, that's th those are the lessons learned. So my full-time job is actually at UCLA as a clinical psychologist, consultant, and trainer there. And I have um, the kind of position that I'm not working in on the, in the campus clinic. I'm outside of the clinic doing a, a bunch of implementation work and crisis work. And I meet with a lot of students typically in that, um, in that transitional age range. So 18 to 24. Mm. And they do ask, you know, how do you how do you sort of start a business and be an entrepreneur and thought leader as a clinical psychologist? And my answer is, you know, there's no manual for this. I have yeah. been working on this for my whole career and probably will continue to both struggle, struggle with this and celebrate this and pioneer this because this is not the type of career that exists in um, our traditions of clinical yeah. psychology. I actually have been trying to write an article, which I'm not good at publishing. I need to get better about that. But uh, trying to write an article essentially about my path to podcasting and I think hitting on exactly what you're talking about. So anytime there was so, – so Bill, my husband, was like, hey, you should start like a YouTube channel or a podcast. And I said, 
Absolutely not. I I felt like all of the psychology mentors in the entire space of the United States would just turn and throw daggers at me. I was like, no, 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 no. You're supposed to be invisible out there. But that's that's and I would assume some of that training might be changing now. But unfortunately, some of that stuff can be slower than the actual output of what technology looks like. But nowadays that, that you you can't first off you cannot be invisible and second of all if you choose to be invisible you're vastly limiting your ability to impact the public for the better and one person i was talking to they it was actually someone who is a consulting psychologist as their career and they said you know what someone's going to put the content out there so the question is what kind of quality is it going to be and that was really helpful for me. And and I think I think one of the attributes, it's not the only one, but one good attribute of high quality work is that you are always questioning yourself. You're never fully confident. You need to be wondering how you were talking about keeping in mind all the audiences, even if they're not there. How do you put things out there in a way that's going to hopefully hit home as best as it can? But yeah, it was tough. I mean, uh, Keaton and I, last season we did an episode on Professor X and we were talking about um, just all his dual relationships and everything going on. And um, Keaton, I don't know if you remember this, but essentially I was talking about like, I mean, in psychology, we tend to want to keep things pretty black and white ethically and say, separate your worlds. But if you do this kind of work, it sounds like, Drea, you're hitting on the fact that it just... It all kind of melts together. Yeah, you can't completely separate everything. Yeah. It would be more challenging to do that because there may be some people who can have some compartmentalizing of Mm. parts of their careers. And I actually do know somebody who is in the entertainment industry as an actor and also they are a voice actor. So they also can do, have a private practice in counseling See, that's and they smart. are a licensed practitioner <laughs> and they, their, and their way of doing this is, um, uh, certainly, uh, again, unpaved and not mm-hmm. something that is easy to carve out and, and to craft, um, but they're fantastic at it. And so I, I do think that there are many ways to do this. And that's what I celebrate is that mm. there is not one way to be a clinical psychologist, educator. Yeah. And Amelia, what what you said around what happens if I don't do this mm-hmm. is incredibly um, provocative for me, yeah. right? Like in a good way. There are now so many YouTube channels and podcasts and people putting their voice out there. The majority of the, about mental health and the mm-hmm. majority of them are not mental health professionals. And yeah. so you're going to have a lot of, of armchair folks commenting on and analyzing and discussing issues that are in our wheelhouse. And I don't minimize any research or work that they're doing, Mm-mm. but I, I do think that taking our work into those spaces with this kind of confidence that yes, you can do this mm-hmm. and be still respected by the industry. Yes, this is something that has been evolving in the field of psychology for some time and is a lot more well-regarded now than about 15 years ago when, uh, you know, this sort of thing was sort of frowned upon. So I think we're getting to a place where 
people know and understand that the intention is for access to this information. The intention is for encouragement around mental health awareness, and ultimately for bettering people's quality of life, which is in our goddamn ethical code. Yeah. Uh, so it does, you know, this isn't like double speak. It totally yeah. makes sense. And if you put the work into your intentions and into your values around this sort of thing, I, I feel like uh, there can be a way to balance out um, the, the self-doubts, the imposter syndrome, and whatever kryptonite is coming our way. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. I, I, um, I do uh, like what you touched on about just how many people, whether they are pro professionals in the field, are touching on these things. And it was, it was one of those things, you know, every time there'll be so many times I ask Amelia, I'm like, hey, is that a proper term? Is that something that people use? You know, is this language okay because there's so much information that's out there and i mean you can pull up a random youtube channel and anyone can talk about mm -hmm. what they you know might have read on webmd right but they're not practiced they're they're you know the the professional level the the degree you know all of that isn't there and i agree it's so important to actually have the professionals and like leaders of the field that are at that are in here, like getting involved with this, because uh, you know, as as an educator, I do definitely understand all those different roles that you play. It's always funny when I happen to see a student out in public, and they're like, "Oh, you're why aren't you in the classroom right now? Like, what are you're you human? Doing? What you're human? <laughs> right? What are you doing? Do you you're you're not teaching biology right now. What is what's happening? Why are you drinking beer? Like what's going on here, right? And so it's it's always funny to see those um to to see the see that duality, but it's also really cool getting a chance to kind of see it um see it mesh. Like uh, the other day, I was talking to students about how in X Men Two there's this uh scene where where Pyro says that the mutant gene is on the 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 male chromosome and I'm like well that can't be right and I proceeded to tell my students why it couldn't be right because sex linked traits if it was a sex linked trait on the y chromosome then there would only be male mutants but and but it's stuff like that that just works it's like okay you just mm -hmm. mixed worlds that I really really liked and 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 I'm never going to forget that and yep. so it's just it's really interesting how all of these things can work together despite honestly kind of i feel like i grew up and i grew up thinking these can't be related right like mm -hmm. so many times you would Same. hear about people reading comic books and it's like Ugh, why don't you go do some work right or why don't like what are you doing you're wasting time right and now right. and and that's that's a <laughs> in a lot of ways you know i grew up in the 80s and 90s and i think there is less stigma now than yes. there was then around the type of kid that read a mm -hmm. comic book or played D&D yes. &D or watched cartoons specific yes. to like superheroes. Mm -hmm. And I appreciate that there's a lot more openness and acceptance of just the, the geeky lifestyle for youth, but also for adults. We're now the ones writing these films. Like we're the ones mm. who are behind the scenes in the yeah. writer's room, creating these stories 
And um, I've never been more proud to be a geek than you know today in in this in, in the world we're we're in now. Uh, but I, I you know, Keaton, your your description of the stereotype around comic books is very true when it comes to the assumptions that are made about those stories. Like, well, they don't have any value. They're just people punching and kicking each other, and like, you know, they're just about superpowers. This, I mean, have you read it? For anyone that says that, it's like, <laughs> did you not read a comic ever? Ever. Did you, did you read <laughs> X-Men ever? Like, because right. it's all about trauma and uh, community healing and mm-hmm. racism and uh, collective liberation. There's so much there yes. that in our world now, we can we can pull from. And I will share, this doesn't happen often, but there are times when I feel validated, like I feel a small win. Last year I taught a course. I don't usually have time to teach, but I did teach a course for university on abnormal psychology. And so I purchased all the the materials and made sure that my textbook was updated. And in the section on personality disorders, there is a picture of Batman and Superman, like, um, uh, it's probably from, I mean, it was recent because it's Ben Affleck playing Batman, okay. pretty recent. And in the little blurb under the picture, it describes schizoid personality disorder, which I totally disagree with, right? But yeah. it gave me a chance to tell my students, I mean, it was super affirming because it's, here's an example and it's a fictional example and Batman's the example. So it was very celebratory. I was very yep. excited to see superheroes in a very mainstream textbook that's used nationally. But then we had a little debate about it, which I think is really good too. Yep. Why did this textbook think that this character has this? Is it ju- just Ben Affleck's Batman or is it? do we think it's all Batman's? Mm. And, um, and why did I, as the professor, as, as the educator and clinical psychologist, why did I disagree with that assessment? And so it made for an interesting conversation and it was such a joy. I wish I could teach more because these are the kinds of things that I would love to talk about more. Yeah. You know, there's, I don't know, there's, there's just so much when it comes to psychology that some of it depends on how you're trained, but I think one of the the common themes that might be shifting now i'm not sure but there tends to be this discouragement of showing yourself as a person and i know you kind of alluded to this earlier too um and once again it it depends what your training orientation is but essentially it's coming from a good place don't encroach on the person you're helping the focus is that person you need to do your best to not apply your own biases to a situation. You really want to make sure that you you have kind of the this, the purest setting for this person. And yet, that's impossible. It's impossible to not have your own biases come in or to not be a person. You walk in, assumptions are made, or there are certain things about you that are clear. You can't be a blank slate completely. And I also just I really over over time i i really struggled with that a bit because my natural style is like very energetic and wanting to engage people and 
throwing in those little snippets to once again make mental health interesting and and yes we're doing the hard work but how do we add some flair to it to to help with that engagement and i felt like i was doing something wrong uh because that's showing my personality uh but the more i i realized you need to be human in that room in order for people to really connect was really important and i think also, when there's education like podcasts or whatnot going out there, when you step outside of treatment, once again, like psychologists being human is important. I mean, you want to be thoughtful in, in what you share and how, and there are certain things you might want to keep private, understandably. But yeah, there, there's that humanness. And I think comic books and stories are one of the absolute best ways of creating human connection, especially between people that might think they're very, very different from one another. Absolutely. And I do not do enough uh, clinical work. I, I, my, um, my private consulting practice is with organizations. So my clients mm. are typically teams of people, but at UCLA, I do meet with students individually and sometimes we'll, we'll have uh, opportunities for some therapeutic relationships in that setting. And like, you know, I'm right now I'm wearing a, um, a star Wars shirt and nice. I have um, nice. the boys, the, the uh, <laughs> and um oh we won uh at a time when they were getting along and <laughs> you know I'll wear this to work 10 15 years ago would wouldn't never have mm-hmm. oh gosh no, that. so you unprofessional know, like, right <laughs> it's it's unprofessional i would not be taken seriously i don't have a position of power um you know 10 15 years ago i i would be absolutely absolutely um scared, you know, to, to do this, but I now have several years as a licensed practitioner. I have a a position where I have some autonomy and, and some bit more control over my my own self as a professional Mm. and a position of power, uh, where I don't fret over these things. I, you know, again, in this balance of professionalism, I do very much care about the dignity and respect that we have for one another, anybody Mm. in my working space. So I'm mindful and thoughtful that, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to wear clothing that has uh, anything that has obscenities or is offensive or anything like that. Uh, And, and like, it's so interesting because there are people that may think that X-Men and uh, Star Wars and certain comics are offensive. Um, mm-hmm. But in my spaces, people know what they're getting into. Like if you're consulting with me or you're meeting with me, <laughs> it's it's on Be my prepared. desk. It's on my walls. Yeah. Like you're, yeah. you're going to see, you know, it's, and, and we can talk about those things and I'm open-minded about that. And I'm absolutely okay. If you've never even seen a Star War, I am <laughs> totally fine with that. But I have noticed, I have noticed that sometimes it does spark discussion and dialogue. And Mm -hmm. Amelia, you really nailed it. This is a, an acceleration of a connection. Maybe you've not seen this movie that's uh, referenced on my shirt, but maybe you know about Star Wars and we have a conversation about that. Maybe you feel really badly for what happened to Anakin and how people turned away from him and he became a villain. We could talk about that. Maybe this, what's that? It's a window. It's absolutely, absolutely. It's, I, I often will say, it accelerates connection. And if we're able to connect and relate through a mediated other, so mediated relationships, mediated others, these fictional characters and narratives that are not real, 
there is a safety to that. Yeah. There is trust there. There's learning there and there is healing there. If we find something there that, that, um, we find to be reparative or restorative, or even just bring, brings up feelings and ideas for us. So even though I don't use it every day, kind of in a therapeutic way, I do celebrate opportunities to uplift mediated others as um, these gateways into knowing more about ourselves and about each other. Yeah. So I did have a fun question to ask. And because I, I think it's safe to say Batman's probably your favorite superhero, right? Uh, who's your for favorite? Those, for those only listening, there's a lot of Batman memorabilia oh, yes, behind her. Excellent. <laughs> Absolutely excellent. I love it. But I was going to ask, who is your favorite villain? Mm. Wow. I have a straightforward answer and then a not so straightforward answer. I like so, it. Yeah, I mean, I know y'all have talked about the Joker on the show uh, uh, previously. I I do like the Joker as a villain because of in his portrayal and representation or manifestation in television and film, how contextualized he can be. And I actually wrote a series of articles that um, in the late 80s, the Joker that we see on screen is the kind of Joker that would be terrifying. A, a very sort of anti-capitalist dude whose methods include going into a museum and defacing art. Yes. That's threat in the 80s. That was super threatening. It was to subvert the elite, to subvert capitalism, to um to be uh, how would we call sort of like very loud, uh, visually very loud. And of so course, in the 2020s, we're like, come on, Joker, we're on board. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, well, and so like we see, I think, an evolution, but also a very contextualized villain. And we see this in the comic books, too. And most, you know, when people ask me, my favorite version of the Joker is from the animated series because mm. of ah, his yes. connection to his own adrenaline addiction, that his yeah. whole psychology is about the feelings that can come up from violence, anarchy, closeness mm. to, to, to the heroes. And there's something to that that I think is actually quite relatable, but also in the context of the animated series, pretty contextual. The animated series is about Bruce Wayne and his relationships. And so the person who's attacking and violating those values is this person who's, if, if I can, you know, lend itself to clinical psychology has some borderline tendencies and has inappropriate, unhealthy uh, relationship uh, tendencies and behaviors. Um, my not so straightforward answer is that I really, really love creatures and monsters. And so Killer Croc mm. is one of my favorite characters, not included Keaton in loves about Killer Croc. I do. I love me oh, some okay. Way- I love me some Waylon Jones. Waylon Jones is my I boy. Do. I, I really, I really like him. He's had a tough break. He has. I, yeah. Uh, but Who's, go ahead. Do you have like a favorite, do you have a favorite version of Killer Croc? Mm. Um, Comics, movies. You know, one of my favorite episodes of Batman the Animated Series is when Killer Croc is, he get, he gets taken in by the people at the circus. And for just a little while, it's almost like he's 
he has a family, but he still mm-hmm. ends up walking away from it. But I'm like rooting for him so bad. So yeah, I think the animated series Killer Croc, I really like. And then the Batman Arkham games. They yeah, did yeah. they did Killer Croc really well and gave him a really cool side story in uh Arkham Knight that I really enjoyed because it was basically all about how he was forced to be an animal in this in the side story they did they were experimenting on him and made him even more reptilian than he already was experimenting on him and basically he's almost having this conversation with batman like they did this i should be allowed to be this way and it's just Mm -hmm. it's one of those things he's a very he's a very heartbreaking character and you really really feel for him because he's 10 feet tall but he's still a human being it's he's he's a very cool character i love stories about killer croc uh do you know if there's a one bad day one shot coming out of killer croc i don't think they're doing killer croc for the one bad day and i'm really Mm -hmm. really upset that maybe because all his days are bad days they're all bad days they're all bad days i know he just has a tough he has a tough break he always just has bad days that's just his thing and he just he just he wants to be left alone like honestly like it seems like modern day cry he wants to be left alone i loved when they randomly put him in red hood and outlaws he was uh roy's sponsor in aa (laughs) It was really yeah out of nowhere it's like the most random thing but he just shows up and he's like he's a pretty good sponsor too and it's just, just he's a he's a fun he's a he's a fun character but he's also a character i think everybody can relate to in just like constantly being misunderstood and Absolutely. having nothing to do with that anger that he has because of it Absolutely. I, I love that. The, this concept that if you treat me like an animal, yes, I will fulfill, you know, some, some of those yes. expectations, mm-hmm. but you've pushed me to manifest my anger and rage. I mm-hmm. think Killer Croc is about the um, expression and living in rage. Yeah. And that I think for a lot of us has some resonance, you know, what do I do with the combination of abandonment, misunderstanding and rage? And so I even wonder if like for, for a lot of us who like Killer Croc, it's not a sympathy thing. We're not like, oh, feel bad. It's, it's the sense of like, I want him liberated. I want him to find belongingness. I want him, and I want him to bite people's heads off because (laughs) it's like, I see, I see that rage within him. Um, I can't recall the, the actual writer, but there was a comic a few years ago where a family took him in. It was like a couple, or I don't know if it was like husband, wife, they, they wanted, it was almost, um, a my fair lady concept like we're mm-hmm. gonna oh that's fun and you're gonna be whatever's and then and he and he acted initially he was um receptive but ultimately the result was sort of horrific and and there was this and i think it's still in this com- in this comic i'm referencing where he he's chained up and i and he bites off his own hands uh oh, to oh, get wow. out of those chains and uh, I'll never forget sort of the the horror 
and the rage and also the some weird justification of this trauma mm -hmm. harm I will har I will actually harm myself in order to be liberated and continuously still be in 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 this in this body that's um that's going to be constantly seen as dangerous there's so much packed in there and if you have a good writer who gets it you have these stories like this where it's not meant to be a one-off like throwaway all filler because BTAS had a lot of episodes that were filler and we didn't know what to in the show we did not know what to do with those but anytime you have um characters like Killer Croc and Baby Doll and like their concept of the world I, I think that's where you have such rich psychology to work from and again yeah. in a space where we can be vulnerable and real and not you know not worry about the um the lack of safety if we're actually talking about ourselves yeah yeah that's really that's really really cool yeah oh wow that's that's that makes me happy there's another uh another, another killer croc, another croc fan out there because i really yeah i've always really loved him i love Batman's Batman's rogues gallery, I think, is what makes Batman so interesting at times. Like, it's I, a lot of times I'll say it, and I feel like you see it a lot in movies. If you can stick a good villain, you can stick the landing for a, a solid movie. You know, whether we're talking about mm. James Bond or the MCU or DC, you know, so many times it comes down to a a very interesting and sometimes charismatic villain and you know batman's villains do that so well because so many times it almost seems like they're dichotomous like batman were to overanalyze things he would almost become riddler-esque and you know mm -hmm. if he got what he his relationships that he does has you know that are so close to him that he's willing to do anything for you know, it kind of reminds me sometimes of Mr. Freeze. And so it's mm -hmm. funny, like, looking at Batman facing these uh, villains that he definitely shares things in common with. And it's it's just, it's so fun thinking about it. Because in a real world, with, if, in a real world, if there was an Arkham that wasn't corrupt, there's a huge possibility that Batman would be in there as well. <laughs> I mean, Batman I, I could use a therapist. I do not disagree with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now you see, I mean, I, I love talking about this stuff with Keaton and Andrea. It's been really fun having you join us too. I, I, I know that you have other things you have to get to, so we definitely want to be mindful of your time. I hope before we wrap things up, though, if we can do a mindful nerd moment together, just to kinda... Absolutely. You know, we like doing these because once again, it hits on all these things that we've been talking about, which is how do you bring psychology to the people? And my my hope is it's kind of one of those things where either people who want to like mindfulness, but they struggle with it or people who may not be interested in it, but maybe we do something fun or silly or interesting, um, you know, just helping pull people toward understanding it a little bit better. Because I think it's a it's a term that's out there so much, almost to the point where some people are like, eh, okay, that mindfulness thing, whatever. Mm -hmm. It's like, hey, sometimes it can actually be really useful. Let's use our fun characters to, to look at it. Um, so what I thought we could maybe do today is I know we all grew up loving Batman the Animated Series. 
So I figured we would return to our roots here. And I thought what we could do is just imagine ourselves back when we were kids and you're, you turn on the TV and there is Batman the Animated Series starting up. So just imagine yourself watching that intro, really just taking in the moment as a child again. So uh, if you guys are comfortable, I'd like for you to close your eyes. But if not, you can always just soften your gaze, not looking at anything in particular. Sitting straight, but comfortably. And first, I want you to just take a few deep breaths. Just using your breathing to help you focus in on my voice and to help you concentrate on what we're about to do. And as I described, I want you to picture yourself as a child, wherever you would normally be when you turn on that television and get ready to watch Batman the Animated Series. And I want you to imagine that here's the intro coming onto the screen. You hear the music. And as best as your little child mind can, focus in. Take in all the different colors and shapes, the movement happening on the screen, the rise and fall of the fast-tempoed music. Notice how it makes you feel. Notice if there are any thoughts that might run through your mind. If you find yourself getting pulled away, that's okay, that's expected. Just bring your attention back to that TV screen watching the animated series intro. See if there's anything about it that you may not have paid attention to before and really just appreciating each moment. And when you're ready, I want you to imagine that the intro's wrapping up and that title screen for whatever ever episode is starting to pop up for you. And we're gonna say goodbye to our, our childhood selves. But first, I want you to just have a moment of appreciation for whatever Batman the Animated Series was for you growing up. And imagine yourself saying thank you to both the series and your childhood self, and, and just saying thank you for this, this moment, this memory. And when you're ready, I want you to take another few deep breaths to help you prepare to shift from your childhood self back to wrapping up the podcast. And as you come back into this room, maybe just shifting in your seat a little bit, opening your eyes, refocusing when you're ready, and we'll check in, see what you guys thought. That was lovely. Thank you. I really like that one. I really like that one. I did. It's uh, it's very, very nostalgic. And like, I mean, so many times uh, Amelia will lead me through these and I will get distracted but come back but like this one it was funny because when i was imagining watching batman the animated series it actually took me back to where i always used to watch it i always yeah. used to watch it i would get off the school bus at my grandma's and she had this really old tube tv with one of the like wooden frames around yes. it and like the clicker that you had to turn the channel on 
and I just is is a <laughs> things were easy then, you know. But mm. at the same time, you know, it's one of those things like you hear that Elfman score and you're just kind of just taken back and just things are simple. And after that, you're like, okay. I've calmed Music's down. A... Whatever's going on. Yeah, music uh, music is just so I good. definitely heard the music. Yes. So like um, you know, strongly prominently it's so in prominent. my mind. Mm-hmm. Even more so than than like the the vivid imagery which I know we've seen so many times. Yes. The, the music was was definitely the uh the foregrounded concept that that com- kept coming back to me and I felt like you there was there's the nostalgia there's the comfort for me there's also a little bit of loneliness and mm. I'm experiencing that if folks are open to mindfulness there is a non-judgmental component to this that yes. it when I tapped into that loneliness I didn't I, I didn't judge that I didn't accuse myself of of anything I wasn't feeling shameful about it I just noted like yeah that was that was something I treasured and loved, but also mm-hmm. didn't really share that with other friends at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but now I get to share it with uh, you and um, I know we're connected around that. And that's just incredibly validating and affirming. Yeah. That's awesome. I, oh my gosh. I cannot thank you enough for this. This has been absolutely amazing. I was going to ask, where can, where can we find where can we find you? Your I know the Arkham the Arkham Sessions podcast. I know you can um download uh download that, but what else what else is going on for you out there, Drea? Well, first thank you so much for having me on the show and welcoming welcoming me into this uh lovely conversation and thanks to your listeners who have been uh joining us. You can find me on social media my identity is arkham asylum doc which isn't (laughs) too surprising if you've been listening to this show so you can find me on twitter and instagram uh, uh under that so i'm arkham asylum doc and then my website is actually the place where all of my articles my podcasts uh my appearances like comic con stuff and my consulting businesses. So my website is drdreapsychology.com. And then Keaton, thanks so much for mentioning the Arkham Sessions again. You can find the Arkham mm-hmm. Sessions on iTunes, Stitcher, anywhere that you listen to podcasts. And we're about to wrap up Star Wars. So we're covering the the ninth film. Oh, wow. uh, for better or worse, we will dig into that <laughs> next. No comments. No comments. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. We'll keep our mouths shut. It is a movie. <laughs> It is a movie and there's a lot to talk about. And then we are actually going to switch gears because our Patreon um, members have voted for our next, basically like the genre or the the IP we're covering next. And they have voted for Star Trek. So we're covering the Star Trek films next. And we're starting with the motion picture, which is our original cast, you know, um, Captain Kirk and Spock and and all all the gang. So we're excited for that. And um, if you love either Star Wars or Star Trek or Batman, check out the Arkham Sessions. Awesome. Awesome. I was also going to say, I, avid comic book reader, you 
are in oh, yeah. the the DC oh, that's right. universe. You <laughs> we were, forgot to you even were, mention that. You were back you were Batgirl psychologist and on top mm-hmm. of that, you are a doctor in Gotham that is not a supervillain. I think that that is that something is that, that can be celebrated. <laughs> you're not a supervillain and you're not in a romantic relationship with Batman. I feel like that's something that always yeah. happens. We we've talked about I it know, before. Like right? whenever there's a therapist in a show, like we, I think you, we touched on a little. You touched on a little bit in your Batman Forever episode with uh, Nicole Kidman's character. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. it yep. was. It's it's always so funny when they introduce those characters and they have, they they have so many, so many, so often they have inappropriate relationships with their patients. It just drives Amelia up the wall. It's so much fun. Drives me. Yeah. There, so there are so many things that they do wrong. My biggest gripe about that film with Doctor Chase is that she we said this on the show when they're at the circus and all this stuff is happening, there's a crisis going on. She doesn't really get involved. And Mm. we had sort of that conversation on our show about as a helper, as a professional licensed helper, and you're just like doing something for fun. You're attending a, you're attending the circus uh, and you see all sorts of things happen. Do you step in? Do you participate in some sort of like uh, grief and loss uh, um, offering? Do you help people? Do you Mm. let people know what, you know, what can you do? And uh, I really was kind of judgy about Dr. Chase. I wanted her to be a little bit more in her role as a psychologist and not so kind of like, um, I don't know, uh, what withdrawn about it. She was kind of not really with it and i i took offense to that yeah it it is interesting because she she meets with bruce but i feel like in that movie it's probably dick that needs to meet with her and have a have a conversation more than anything right yes it's weird um and and i will say i do want to plug one more thing uh i if folks are into the um dc animated films which honestly are often very well written and very true to yeah. their source material. Yes. Um, you can find my work on The Doom That Came to Gotham, which ah. is an adaptation of the comic book. And there are some, uh, there's like a brief documentary that accompanies the Blu-ray, DVD and streaming okay. film. And and I say a bunch of things there. So please check it out and um, continue to support your local comic book shop. Ask them if they yes. have Batgirl number 16 or number 20 and um, let them know there's a psychologist that's portrayed in the comic and you're interested in purchasing it. Yeah. And we actually, we did an episode on you in the comic. So if people say, oh, shoot, what did she say on that? Just look at our list of podcast episodes in season two. And Dr. Letta Mendy is in there, Batgirl's therapist, and it lists what issues those are. But yes, local comic book store, absolutely. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you so much. So, so much for coming and joining us. This has been an honor it's been so much fun and i hope we get to do it again sometime honestly i do love to do it again sometime but uh yes thank you so much thank you both thanks for nerding out with us i'm clinical psychologist dr amelia brown and i'm educator and comic aficionado keaton hopkins check out my tv and movie reviews on youtube at team jvs check out our website at bat-therapy.com 
our Bat Therapy YouTube channel and follow us on social media. And don't forget our Patreon page at patreon.com slash bat therapy. See you next week. Same bat time, same bat channel.